But then the question that I came up with or the thing that I was like trying to figure out is like, then why do I see so many sexual middles and dominance that are like so cheap and shitty about it? Like they're not mm-hmm. being transformed. They're not, <laughs> they're not losing their sense of self. Yeah. On the other hand, it's kind of like an encouragement when all these instinctual things aren't really doing it and all this worldly stuff isn't really doing it that you kind of have to go into your heart and into your mind in a deeper way. There's no safe space in any of this. <laughs> it yeah. all sucks. If you are a shitty person, you will use your instincts in a shitty way. That's true. Yeah. The Big Hormone Enneagram. John Lukovic, uh, the sexual self press 45 link, 458 trifecta. Hi, I'm David Gray, self press sexual 9 with 1974 trifix. What up, it's Emika, I'm the 8 wing 7, sexual self press with 854 fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy, I am a self press social 3 wing 4 with a 369 trifix. If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. I mean, we were talking earlier today, um, and I'm a little tired, so maybe Alexander can clarify. But we were talking about like the way in which, like, basically the healthy version of the instincts versus the unhealthy versions. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about some sexual types who, like, you know, sexual types and sexual middles that are acting like they really go for the real passionate stuff on like sexual blinds. Mm. And oh, right. it was like knowing that these people um, uh, were not going for the real stuff. And kind of like just that self-delusional thing about how you can even be sexual <clears throat> dominant and like be absolutely full of shit about your dominant instinct. Mm-hmm. And how that like, you know, somebody projecting onto the sexual instinct might imagine that somebody with more of a sexual drive is finding a lot of people attractive. And actually, I think if you're actually in touch with your sexual drive, few people are attractive. Yes. It's worth saying just how fucking fucked up a sexual type or sexual middle can be about the way that they're engaging their, in- their sexual instinct. I mean, it's been a huge eye-opener just typing people over the past few years and seeing real sexual types who are extremely blank, extremely uninteresting, Mm-hmm. And use their sexual instinct to hide completely not engaging sexually in any real way with sexual partners. This is a sexual type. Right. Yep. And so it's like this idea that it gives you any uh, leg up in the attraction game. It's like, no, like at least I guess I've just learned that these types are so neutral. Like a piece of shit is a piece of shit. A boring person is a boring person. It's just going to show up in this track lane of yeah. instinctual totally. preference or whatever. But um, it's funny to me that people find some kind of solace in whatever stacking that they have. Because, I mean, I've just had first-hand uh, experience that sexual types can be some of the most uninteresting human beings I've ever met. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, the, like, like, it's if your type gives you some kind of pass or some kind of, um, not pass is not the right word, but like, advantage yeah some kind of advantage in something because <laughs> yeah. i mean yeah, or we, some like built-in kind of thing already of just like on a sexual type i'm already right. yeah yeah mm-hmm. like yeah. just like a natural flair i mean i was just doing study group and we were 
started chapter three, which the first part is uh, instinctual fears and how those like co-op the instincts basically. And, you know, one girl shared like, in a, you know, in a great self-observation about how she's uh, probably a sexual dominant. And she said she went to Barcelona not to like see Barcelona, but to, uh, what did she say? She was like to introduce uh, Barcelona to herself, like to show <laughs> herself off and get attention. And then she didn't get attention. And she felt completely empty and completely like mission failed and and wow. started to notice how uh, right. shallow mm. that was, you know, mm. and, and, you know, saying that maybe she also identified as self-pressed blind and, she, and, you know, I don't know if this is self-pressed blindness or not, but she said, yeah, like I couldn't, people, often when people go travel, uh, they like to like look at the architecture and the buildings and the vibe and the people and the place. And she said that was totally uninteresting to her she was totally missing the sense of vibe and space and all about the attention thing. And then afterwards just realized like, wow, I just wasn't there. I wasn't mm -hmm. getting a thing. And so I'm reaching for some stuff that we were referring to earlier today, but I thought it was like really interesting and worth like deflating some bubbles about you can be a sexual type. And in fact, being a sexual oh. type, you're most prone to deceiving yourself that you're doing something that's really uh, getting outside your habitual boundaries and, and like doing something really alivening under the disc, under the, you know, feeling like this, but it's actually just re, uh, doing the old pattern over again. It, it can also feel like a disadvantage because you can overemphasize the signals of attraction. Like, you know, just attraction mm -hmm. is one aspect of a relationship, but because you're a drug addict for the high that chemistry can provide, you get one little hit of that and you make that the whole relationship. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so you don't see the other, it's like, I I'm overemphasizing this aspect of a relationship and I'm ignoring, you know, the, the connection or maybe common values, all, all those other things that mm -hmm. matter. Being treated like a person. Yeah. <laughs> all these other things until like, I'm just getting high off of this. And so it's, everyone has a, a different starting point and it can create its own, distortion um that you're not really seeing the other person because you're just using whatever that connection to get to get your sexual instinct needs met so it's i mean everybody fucking sucks all these types fucking suck i like there is no comfort space there is no right escape from the fact that you're terrible <laughs> and we're using our type structures to do terrible things to ourselves and everyone else mm -hmm. right right now i um where are you going, baby? She, she couldn't. She, could, she couldn't handle the terrible. She was like, "No, I'm not terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asleep." Alexander says, "Shut up." <laughs> um, Positive type escapes at the, <laughs> the most negative point. No, we, I mean we were really saying, like, I mean, how much in a certain way, like, I mean, just as you guys know, there's ways that we just fucked up parts of our lives, just thinking we were doing our dominant instincts game and you know same thing with like social where you can you can be social dominant have a social instinct but you like don't know how to actually relate to people or have a relationship and like how, like i know some mega social types who are like know all these people but they have no actual relationship and it's like mm -hmm. no genuine connection no one actually knows them even though they're mm -hmm. constantly involved in people all the time and it's like settling for this low grade level of like gossip and entangled mm -hmm. in people and reacting to people mm -hmm. has nothing to do with actually being connected to anybody. 
And so they're just like chronically like alone in like a real sense. And it's yeah. like becoming somebody by being associated with certain people yes. also. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Alexandra. Well, that's nine which, that's, that's the reason Alexandra's with John. Basically. Yeah, I know, right? The social climber over here. Yeah. <laughs> she can social climb all over my body. <laughs> She loves to look at my body. <laughs> Cloud chaser. <laughs> look at her scurry. Alexander, you should you're just a cloud chaser. I've been, well, I've been... I was the best one, so <laughs> the most successful cloud most chaser. Successful one. <laughs> um yeah, if I heard I was making tea, obviously, but um if I heard obviously. correctly. Obviously. obviously. <laughs> um yeah, one of the things we were talking about is like the way that I hear like or see people talk about their sexual instinct just feels like, you know, like the words, the, the adjectives surrounding sexual instinct is like psychologically transformative, like mm -hmm. loss of self, blah, blah, blah. And like those obviously have really strong implications. And like there is a way that the sexual instinct does invite and require those things. But then the question that I came up with or the thing that I was like trying to figure out is like, then why do I see so many sexual middles and dominants that are like so cheap and shitty about it? Like they're not mm -hmm. being transformed. They're not, <laughs> they're not losing their sense of self. Yeah. One way yeah. to say it is it's like um, there is a destructive aspect of the sexual yeah. instinct and that's actually kind of a turn on. And so you stay with the destruction rather than the growth or something that yeah makes sense i think we need to update the language a little bit because i mean i feel like we need to destroy any positive connotations towards <laughs> yeah like you know just make it more neutral because um right. what i've seen is that yeah the sexual drive is looking to annihilate sort of like any sort of like stable pattern but that can show up in such a stupid way that doesn't lead to anything totally and so yeah. you know like transformation can be just purely destructive mm -hmm. that's it you know yeah that's it yeah, yeah where i was kind of going with it was like i do think that psychologically transformative and like loss of self and destructive and all of that are um what are accurate ways to describe the sexual instinct but then it kind of begged the question of like why is it that not everybody uses their dominant instinct for its integral purpose and that's kind of the, the, the two options that I feel like every instinct has with their dominant instinct. Like we know a lot of social types that absolutely do not cultivate bonds with anybody. They just like collect people like Girl Scout badges to make themselves feel good. You know, and the same thing with the sexual instinct is we know people that use their sexual instinct to get like, like ego hits without actually right. being transformed or without being willing to throw themselves in this sort of psychological fire. And that then would be it, me. That would be me. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, just like people using sexual to, to get a sense of aliveness, like to, all right, I'm just going to create a mess. I've seen, you know, sexual middles tend to do that. Like I'm just, you know, yeah. some, some like allure of destruction. David. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, with me, it's with nine and seven, you know, I'm and sexual middle. Well, <laughs> there's more, I'm looking for more options and more possibilities mm -hmm. of there to be some sexual juiciness everywhere. So like even a little trace, I'll, you know, keep trying to pull out of it more 
you know, to make it something yeah. and make it make it up or juicy or electric or something. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we were also talking about was, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of this difference between using an instinct for ego versus using yeah. the instinct for one's aliveness, one's body. And then there's like, you know, honing instincts so that it's like a good support for the body for like a inner life and spiritual work and things like that. But just that difference between keeping the body alive versus keeping the ego reinforced. You know, it's like if you're if you're uh, not listening to your physical sensation, then you're projecting emotional, mental shit onto it. And the people that... Uh, you know, it's like like self-prez who like works themselves out to death or like eats so finicky or weirdly that they're like fucking with themselves or like totally mm-hmm. won't rest enough or they rest way too much or like yep. sexual is like all for ego hits to like prove that I'm desirable and prove that right. I'm wanted. And, you know, social, just like being involved with people in some low grade <laughs> sense that I'm enmeshed in something rather than mm-hmm. actually connected. And, you know, what we're talking about just like, comparing our experiences with sexual instinct and stuff like this and you know like i have a lot of remorse for having stuck in past relationships for way too long and at the same time um one of the things that i was noticing like we went out to a club last night and you know i'm just like just i'm naturally attuned to attractiveness and just how like few people are attractive Mm. and like you know somebody might have nice like face or body part or something like that but like um i think you know, just part of what part of the sticking around in a relationship was like there there isn't much out there that's actually attractive. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that when you separate and I'm not trying to uh in, like somehow subtly imply I'm out of my ego whatsoever, but I but I'm saying that like Yeah, you are John. You're you're just I'm such a hot guy such a hot <laughs> that dude. everybody is ugly. <laughs> <laughs> well what I mean is like um you know, when you take out like ego hitting like hooking somebody for an ego thing. Uh, or you, or trying to uh, be with somebody in a way that's resolving just your ego patterns, people are pretty unappealing mm-hmm. overall. You know what I'm saying? Like at least from that point, like people maybe there's like, oh, they're nice looking or they're like attractive in that like light way we say attractive or something. But like that kind of like actually like turn you on, like whoa, what's going on here? That's mm. pr- I mean that's pretty that's fucking true. rare. Yeah, yeah, it's worth saying. I think there was a thread in the group of. Uh, like someone was talking about attachment types who go on dates and just pretend like they're into someone or can't locate if they're into someone. And I was sitting there thinking to myself is like, uh, hexat types are equally guilty of this shit because it's coming from it from a different angle. It's like, you might like, for example, an eight might be attracted to someone because that person, they satisfy the need for the eight to take up space in someone else's experience or, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like it's, or it's just a good deal. It's a good <laughs> transaction. Yeah. Right. You know, and there's nothing, I mean, on some level there's nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's just as bad as I'm just kind of vaguely with this person and I'm not that interested in. So it's like all the different types have their reasons that they might stick with the partner that they're not really all that interested in from the point of view of their own type. And I don't think it's just attachment types. I mean, attachment types can have this sort of vague way that they have four or five things going on at once that can seem really confusing. But I, as an aide, can have a really fucked up reason to stay in a relationship that satisfies my own sort of leverage point of view. Totally. Yeah. You know? 
And uh, I've stayed in some bad relationships because it was satisfying some, you know, need that had nothing to do with connection. Yeah, and it was kind of like, um, it was just so clear how absolutely in the matrix we all are and like how asleep and how, you know, like, see even the sense of like getting flattered because so-and-so liked your tweet or whatever, or because someone is like giving you eyes or something like that is like great. But at the same time, all that is so much informed by bullshit too. And it's like, yeah. there's like so much bullshit everywhere that everybody's just slinging around at each other. Um, that it's kind of like, you know, like, like you just feel backed up into a corner in terms of the artificiality in all directions. And I was like connecting that with like how, I mean, I think the planet is absolutely ruined, you know, like maybe there's some semblance of recovery, but I think like the oceans are nearly, you know, 80% plastic and stuff like this. And, you know, it's kind of like on one hand, there's this, um, sense of absolutely like everything's bad. Nothing's going to get better kind of thing. On the other hand, it's kind of like an encouragement when all these instinctual things aren't really doing it and all this worldly stuff isn't really doing it, that you kind of have to go into your heart and into your mind in a deeper way. You know, yeah. it's like, and then, I mean, I think all of us in our own ways have been really disillusioned by a lot of things. And then that actually, that disillusionment can be like a pivot point to finding something actually meaningful. Yeah. Trying to launch into something here um let's see well like one of the things in the bhava chakra is that that pig is at the center of the symbol is delusion or illusion and that's the first delusion in buddhism and which is and and i correlate it to self-pres and um part of what that means that correlation to me is that like I am just me and my needs and my body and my earthly self. And so in that way, like even self-pres blinds are sort of archetypally in that self-pres mm -hmm. place of that sort of self-orientation, which like in the case of self-pres instinct, it's, it's a, I mean, I'm saying the obvious, but it's a, whatever your dominant instinct is, you're perceiving that there's not enough of mm. the goodies of the, of the commodities. And so yeah, you're, right. you're stuck in that needing to get more, needing to get more. So that's why you have social types doing a bunch of connections that are not real relationships and mm. sexual types, same thing, whatever. Yeah, it's like, uh, like just the kind of, um, I don't know, the image of like, not like a Russian nesting doll, but something similar in terms of layers and layers and layers of what you, the very like modes of perceiving the world and knowing what your needs are and like and the strategies for satisfying those needs, they're all wrong. You know, they're mm -hmm, all like right. really fucked up. They're all really not based in reality. And um, it's just interesting, like, I don't know, I guess... I guess from this instinct or just Enneagram point of view, it hits in a different way than sort of that kind of like Buddhist idea that just floats around that all is illusion and all is suffering. It's like, yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Got it. And then you yeah. just keep doing illusion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's really like getting kind of uh, specific and really gruelingly. Um, right. It's like, you can see like the line between uh, buying into something and then and delusion and like tracing those little steps to and from and just getting more and more clear about that and yeah it's like 
kind of what we came to in the study group was like there's so much to like lose faith in Mm -hmm. and the only thing like yeah the only way you really can go is is either despair or mercy in a certain way yeah i uh when i met you summer of 2016 i was like that's i was the first time that i was aware that i met a sexual type and i was like oh that's what that you know that's what that energy (laughs) feels like so i mean but it's more like this is john it's more like uh, he john is an interesting or person that i'm interested in who happens to be a sexual type and so i Mm -hmm. thought let me go date sexual types you know (laughs) and i proceeded to experience for the next two years some of the worst dating experiences that i've ever had i feel like i'm somehow indirectly responsible for so much of emica's disaster relationship (laughs) but it's like oh no these are just horrible people that happen to be sexual types and yeah and and so it completely demystified what the sexual instinct i mean of course it was like Uh, crash it was a crash course on what the sexual instinct was and what like what that means in terms of uh what people with that instinct first or second or going to emphasize in a relationship in a relational dynamic so it just really brings it down to earth and also sees in, in the ways that people use the sexual instinct to not be in a relationship or to mm-hmm. not actually be attracted yeah. um there were so many examples of sexual types who could whip up or take a small spark that they were experiencing with me and explode that into a grand romance for a short period of time only to, you know, in order to get that ego hit of this person wants me, uh, oh, and yeah. then they disappear. Yeah. So to see how, you know, we're all trying to get our needs met, and as a sexual type, you're overemphasizing, um, is this person hooked into me or not? And just to see that for what it is in such a, in horrible people, it's like, oh, right. it's just, it's just, an, it's just an instinct. It has no, there's no value in it in of itself. And yeah. um, it, you're really, if you're in a relationship with someone, it's really about that person. They're not interesting because they have sexual. It's just that's the instinct that they're going to use to get certain needs met. And right. yeah, I've just, <laughs> so we type a lot of people who are in some way angling to have sexual in their stocking. And I just wish they would understand that you're not missing out on anything. Like whatever right. you think right. is going to happen. I mean, of course, I mean, there is a certain perspective that's needed if that's your last instinct, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to give you the awesome whatever Mm -hmm. that you think it's going to give you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. It's not going to make you cooler. It's not going to make you have better sex. Right. I mean, I've had some frigid sex with sexual types, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So if you've been wondering about what it's like to fuck a sexual type, it still (laughs) might still suck. (laughs) Yeah, well, I, I want mean, to try out the sexual middles. <laughs> yeah, they're try, they're still just as guilty. Right? Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got that sexual middle arrogance. No, you, y'all suck too. You're all just no. huge Six sluts. It'll <laughs> <laughs> take you a while to convince me. <laughs> There's no safe space in any of this. It yeah. all sucks. If you are a shitty person, you will use your instincts in a shitty way. That's true. true. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. It's all fresh in my mind because it was like a good study group session because it was all, it was, we were, still, you know, the instinctual fears of, you know, self prize, fear of scarcity and harm, 
sexual fear of un- being undesirable and sexually overlooked, and then social the fear of uh, being um, ostracized and abandoned. You know that we have no matter what our stacking is, all three of those fears are active in us. We're just more or less con- reacting to and managing one of those fears. And so, like, so if you're sexual, social, self-praise, you're going to be uh, like anxious about being undesirable, but you're also going to be anxious about scarcity and harm. The way you're going to try to manage your fear, scarcity, and harm is to try to be more desirable and sexually appealing. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's yeah. like we have all that shit in us. Yeah. I was uh, thinking that we should do, you know, with here and in DAA, just talk about how these types, like trifix and the stackings, they're all, st- it's from the perspective of the dominant instinct. So mm-hmm. if I'm doing self-prez or social, it is through the lens of sexual that I'm going to try to get those needs met, unless I'm actually doing the work mm-hmm. to go directly mm-hmm. to that instinct. And same thing with five, uh, my five fix that it's from the perspective of eight uh, that I'm doing my five fix. So someone, a nine or a one who has a five fix is going to be um, going to their head center from through the Mm -hmm. perspective of their core type. And so that sort of nesting quality of the instincts and the types um, that if you're a sexual type that you're trying, when I do self-prez, it's like, how do I uh, inject some kind of activating interesting hookness that people would want to buy like how do i make money in a way that satisfies my sexual instinct and without actually just going to self-prez and just meeting people's needs that way and just making money like any normal self-prez person would do like you're doing it through the sexual instinct which is a huge handicap which right (laughs) because it has to be interesting to me which that's not what people need when they're trying to get their self-prez needs met so it's like looking at how i'm doing social through the sexual instinct um you know you're using sexual approaches to meet social needs and there is kind of like a social within sexual and so when you go to social Mm -hmm. i'm doing it from this you know trying to provoke some kind of annihilation or before after for people or something like that Mm -hmm. that's not really social either so it's an interesting way to look at how we're just all in a nested way approaching our blind spots, you know, through the dominant instinct or even the secondary instinct through the dominant instinct. Right. Like, I mean, all the self-press I do is purely because it somehow enhances my sexual, (laughs) like, I work out or I eat well or I I try to move my body some. But, like, Alexander had, like, a 401k from an old job she was at. And she, like, brought that up and I was like, what is a 401k? (laughs) You know, like no sense of preserving myself. It's all like to maintain the vehicle. And then, yeah, I mean, we've had that joke of your blind spots really your dominant instinct because you're, you know, like trying to find somebody that really uses me and sees me and wants me because I'm attractive. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm juicy and stuff. Yeah. This is, um, this is kind of taking it in a different direction, but something that I've been thinking about, I've been having a lot of conversations about like, um, or observing conversations that usually have to do with some kind of like compatibility formula. Mm. And I know that we've talked about like polarities and you know how you need like a good amount of polarity, but also a good amount of resonance so that it, the polarity is not unstable. Yeah. Um, you know, and all of that's good, but I guess like through like observing conversations like this and taking part in conversations like this, like when I use astrology, um, like in synastry or um yeah just any kind of like compatibility modality 
it all comes down oh like the pattern the freaking mm. pattern the app. the app yeah it's like it's very fun and it's great and everything but like i guess the point that i'm trying to make is if i use the pattern as an example it can just be like a projection machine mm. Mm-hmm. absolutely a projection machine you can have like a great sort of like test result between you and another person on the pattern then and it turns out that that relationship or that interaction that dynamic sucks yep uh and in other <laughs> ways you can have like one that invites a lot more struggle or not invites but like predicts a lot more struggle and a lot more tension but there's actually a lot more um i don't know a lot more harmony or like compatibility or just like something that works within it so i guess what i'm getting at is like the way that I see astrology is like um, the compatibility that can come out in synastry really is like the last thing to look at because every individual person first needs to get through the hurdles of their own chart. Yeah. So like I can be compatible mm. with John and we are. All of our synastry is really good. All of our like planet to planet stuff is really good pattern shit was really good but then it's still stuff like if john's not working on his stuff as like a sexual four and i'm not working on my stuff as a social nine then compatibility or not we're not going to work and so it's kind of the same thing with the enneagram like like i've been seeing like what's going to work maybe i'll try like a sexual type next or maybe you should go for a social blind or maybe you should go for like a sexual middle or something like that (laughs) and it's like the formula is not going to work yep because no. you're really just trying to find sleeping compatibility with somebody instead of like an awake meeting. Yeah, yeah. That hits real close to home. I was thinking after the rejection call we did with Courtney that I realized that my obsession with attraction or trying to build a system around or formulate a, a system around how people are attracted to each other is yet another way that I've put like a rejection um, overlay on attraction because it's sort of like saying um she's into me because i look like her dad or i am this i fit this archetype that she's into and if it doesn't work it's because there was something missing with between uh, that mismatch between our attraction map so it's keeping it away from me the more i (laughs) the more i focus the more i'm i'm being more separate from the person i'm like an outside like lens on the dynamic where i'm not there i'm just watching two people me in the picture um so i can sort of like separate myself from what's going on it's an objectification thing too yeah, yeah. i was gonna no. say that it like it actually takes out um free will yeah by like so, just looking at like will this system work with this system cool then we right. can both just like not it's, really be here mm-hmm. and it'll still be functional without causing more like disruption right it, it was just a way to to abstract a person yeah. to their parts <laughs> Yeah. And to uh, see a failure in terms of that abstraction. And mm-hmm. so I started to realize that, yeah, I had instances where on paper it looked like it was a great match and it was still an abject failure. And I've had instances where I didn't see it coming, but there was some unexpected chemistry that came about from something that didn't seem like it would work. And so I... I don't have that obsession anymore because I know it doesn't fucking matter. Like there's so much unpredictable stuff when two people get together. I mean, everything could be right on paper, but if someone is not ready to be in a relationship with you, regardless of how well of a match, and I've experienced that, they're not ready uh, for any sort of like heart to heart connection. It's never going to happen. Or they have some sort of like a mental illness or whatever. Um, 
it's never going to happen. <laughs> so I've learned the hard way that these, this abstraction of attraction is just another way for me to separate myself from dealing with right. human beings as right. human beings. Yeah, I mean, that goes further with, like, uh, again, not to keep referencing what we did today, but it was, like, it was pretty rich, the call, was um, ways I try to label, like, what the personality does in response to those instinctual fears is, like, for fear, scarcity, and harm for self-prize goes into habit, and I don't just mean, like, routines, like, I do this every morning, but, like, turning everything into kind of automatic, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. stable, stabilizing, yep. and that means even your patterns of thinking and feeling and behaving. Um, the whole everything is kind of stems from that self prez wanting to like stabilize and 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 just like lock down on, on what I've got, and then um, you know both in terms of actual resources, but also internally as like an identity lock down on my identity, just keep doing the same things, and then uh, s- uh, sexual is objectification, which is like objectifying oneself and other people, and uh, you know it's I think it's. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's a little easier to sometimes see when you're objectifying someone else because mm. you're just yeah. like, so, oh, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I don't know. I feel like yeah. it's kind of easier, uh, but to harder to see when you're objectifying yourself because it's like yeah. the bounds of what personhood means are much bigger. And then for social, I call it positioning, where it's basically like you're not relating to people in the present moment, but like from a emotional, mental template that you're trying to get the present circumstance to conform to whether you're above everybody because you're so great and really valuable so everybody should belong or want you to belong and want to connect with you or like i'm lower than everybody and i'm a victim or i'm a you know you don't know how bad i've got it or you guys are against me it's like another just position to have it's like creating an orientation to people Mm -hmm. and so it's like yeah what you're speaking to with that objectification thing where it's like we're all playing with these versions of this out on each other and ourselves and yeah, just, I don't know, they're all just like collapses, collapsing around like just being in touch with the actual felt sense of the instinct. Mm-hmm. And they're all like what happens when we're a little dissociated from like the in the moment thing. Because so, it's, yeah. like, it's like putting old emotional stuff, old emotional patterns into it to make it like alive. Yeah. Yeah. Even as a sexual type, like you could or anyone in any relationship could just uh, make a mental dis- uh, framework of what they think they're actually experiencing and just hold on to that yeah. versus what, what's actually happening. You know, just, you know, even like the honeymoon stage is an example of that, of you've projected something on someone and it's so strong that it supersedes maybe what you're experiencing. And you try to hold on to that feeling as it starts to fade away. Just actually coming back to connecting with the person in front of you and what's actually happening now it's hard because there's a possibility that what you experience in the moment could go one or two different ways so it's easier to default to fantasy or to default to this is what i want to happen or what i want to make happen or this is what it used to be and that's what you know that kind of thing another another version of all this is like um pursuing attractions or relationships or life circumstances that you're really not that into but it's kind of like a settling thing or like what i can get kind of a deal yeah so you're like not really in it but you're like convinced yourself that this is all you can get so you stay involved in bullshit and so like yeah it's like you know maybe you're in a relationship you don't actually really feel that good about but it's what i can get or especially like you know people like people just like start 
with these like <clears throat> dumb, very shallow, very like I ended up going through this wormhole where on my Facebook account, uh, I all of a sudden got all these people from high school that I have not thought about for a second <laughs> coming up as suggested friends or something. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Ugh. And uh, I was like, oh my god! Like, I have a game I play with uh, my friends, Colleen and Mary, where we text each other the names of somebody that just has not crossed a brain right. cell, <laughs> and because um, yeah. we all went to high school together, and uh, like, it's amazing how like how absolutely forget we didn't have like a big class or something but how absolutely forgettable some people were and then we're like what and so you know and people who had even big personalities at the time you know like right, left yeah, no sure. mark so man where am i going with this I, I got into this thing where i was just like looking at all these people and i don't know just like the ways that people can occupy themselves with nonsense and nothing and nobody's and like remember you know just like how high school people yeah. like there's a lot of people that just like never actually have a friend in their life, even though they're involved in a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just wild. Like it was just like, it was such a mind fuck to see that. And this is kind of like go through some of these people and just, yeah. Anyway, I don't know why that was connected, but it, it somehow is in my brain. I think you were going with like, uh, all the different ways we convince ourselves to stay in things and yeah. Settle oh, yeah. for things. And like, people are just involving themselves in things that, don't mean anything to them at the time and it's yeah. it's like what we said what i said earlier about like how little uh you might be attracted to it doesn't mean you're ugly or something like that or something's wrong yeah. with you but just yeah. like it's like how how little is real in the world yeah and like what i'll see too is like people engaging in either like romantic relationships or friendships or something like that and it's like they're wanting the higher quality thing like i want like a real connection or like a real solid relationship but it's sort of like with, with the soul intercourse episodes where like, you know, it was like you got to kind of, you can't play the dumb game and hope for like something real to come by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you got to like actually step up to the real thing and risk maybe not getting it, yeah. but like at least living in that, that en- the energy level, so to speak, um, if you want it. Because you're not like the, the, like if you keep just like lowering your standards it's going to attract the flies. What? Yeah. <laughs> Putting it's kind of like, there. it's kind of like hoping for better. Like I'm going to start with this dumb shit and hope it becomes better. And I, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't <laughs> it's work. just, it's like you have to actually raise your expectation and keep it there to attract someone who's also looking for the same thing or even bring someone up to that level. They're like, Oh shit, I've wanted this and I haven't, you know, met someone who's, wanting the same thing i mean i had to go through that of all right i i want a real heart connection with somebody and most people aren't i mean 99 percent of people aren't there so that means i'm gonna look like a fool for a yeah. while you know because you're gonna put yourself out there you know some someone might think you're being too thirsty or being too you know pathetic or whatever the fuck or too too much yeah too much. which i definitely experienced a bunch of times yeah. Uh, which is disheartening, but at, at the end of the day, it's like I also recognize that, man, nothing felt more alive. Mm-hmm. Nothing felt more real than actually like letting somebody know how I felt from not from a place of I'm going to try to do this or this. It was like right. from like a real, it's really risky, but I was like, just yeah. the fact of doing that felt like this is what living is. Like I actually yeah. was real mm-hmm. in this yeah. connection. 
Fuck yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'll never go back. I can't go back because just mm-hmm. trying to protect your heart is just, it it's doesn't awesome. matter if it works. The, the actual activating or being in your heart is a really cool thing once you can get there. Right. One thing I was going to bring up too is my elements thing and that association with the instincts, you know, uh, self-pres is earth, social is air, and sexual is fire and water. And, you know, if we're talking about demystifying sexual, I think that part of why this is always going to come up, this thing around this idealization of sexual, is because everybody has, this is a nineism here, right? But everybody has this uh, elemental archetypal um, association, actually, with the sexual instinct, deeply unconsciously or whatever, you know, with fire and heat and water, juicy, you know what I mean? All of that kind of stuff. And so part of what we're battling in trying to demystify sexual is those associations. And Mm. I don't know what what the antidote is. But I mean, there's, it's difficult to get around that. I mean, the, the antidote is somewhat what we're already saying here, which is a connection to the heart and presence and things like that. But, you know, it's difficult when you've got that kind of underlying association. I mean, earth is just this fucking dull thud thump of earth, right? That's not moving, right? So it is kind of dull, right? And air, can't see it right so you know what i mean things like that Mm, so mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. so that's uh, again it's i'm I'm bringing it up partly as a something to i don't know just hold as a thought not that we'll have answers for it now but that's uh part of what we're battling is Mm -hmm. that i think i was i was um uh, a friend turned me on to like giving freud another look like Mm. because I mean, first of all, people, it's very fashionable for people to shit on Freud without having ever understood anything about Freud. Okay. And how, you know, everything in modern psychology is, is, uh, like rooted in Freud, like everything, you know? And it's like, and it doesn't have to be like, oh, Freud or Jung or whatever. But, but yeah, people who don't. Isn't he the first modern person to come up with to, uh, I don't know, just, uh, have the idea that there is a subconscious? I mean, right, that's rather right. huge. <laughs> right, just that, that were, yeah, yeah, they were ruled by the unconscious. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, just yeah, just brilliance. Anyway, right. Yeah, you know, he talks about the uh, Thanatos, the death drive, and he puts that in contrast to a kind of eros or libido. But uh, and I think like what I'm kind of getting at is that. There is some kind of conflation with eros and sexual instinct in a certain yes. way that does make, I mean, does make sense at the same time. It's where eros, we get the word erotic, eros. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, um, you know, like in a conversation, like from that point of view of eros, like this to sexual, like just they were conversing, we're mixing and meeting and blending in a certain way, right? And so it's like an eros creative drive and i think that maybe like the sexual instinct uh can capture the part of 
eros that is about some kind of boundary overcoming. But, you know, like self-prez is eros and social is eros. And so I think sometimes our, Mm -hmm. there is a relationship between sexuality and eros in a certain way. And there's a little bit of distinction as well. And I think a lot of times my experience of when people are very identified with being a sexual type when they're definitely not a sexual type and why they have a hard time being talked out of whatever they're identified with, sexual type, being identified with sexual type, is feeling like either they feel like they've got a lot of eros and then somehow I'm trying to deny that to them or they feel like they don't have eros and I'm calling them out on that or something like that. But I think that that's like a lot of the thing but i go what we're getting at too is that like you can be sexual dominant and absolutely have no arrows <laughs> like yes. none at all i mean it's been really cool to see that uh to see i mean i can remember a couple years ago when the group was new and there were some people that were tackling the idea that they could be sexual blind and there was someone that we had typed as sexual first who was very plain and didn't really seem very interesting. And so this other person who was sexual blind was like, why is this person oh, sexual? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm way more interesting. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, like I, it was a big thread and it was just sort of like getting at, yeah, that, that's, that's the whole point, that this is not a statement on your personhood mm-hmm. or your ability to be sexually alluring because look, there are sexual types who aren't very alluring at all. It's something that's always going to keep happening. I had a call recently with a, a sexual blind um, person who said he was, really took a lot from our DAA calls because he realized that all the interesting people or people that he thought were interesting were sexual blind. Mm. That, mm. that it really demystified yeah, sexual, yeah. Yeah. sexual for him because he could see it for what it was. And it's like, oh, right. it has nothing to do with interestingness, actually. Um, nope. And that's hopefully what making the Enneagram come alive can do for people is like, mm-hmm. you've got to look at the person and their, their heart. And that's what you're really connecting to. Um, just because you have sexual or, or you don't doesn't say anything about your ability to be sexually alluring. Mm-hmm. Those of us who are interesting are interesting because we're actually interesting people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, Not really because though. of I've met people uh, with my same stacking or close to my same trifics who are pretty fucking boring yeah yeah and i mean i've known alexandra's like absolute type twins yeah and absolutely no juice yep there's my juicy fruit right here (laughs) you know it's because of her five wing on her six fix oh right (laughs) that's 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 why right absolutely (laughs) just one Yeah. Sub wing. I got five and four somewhere. Ha-ha. She's got like a, you know, like four five. Yeah. You know, that's four why. five sub wing on her six five. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah there, there was something else about this idealization thing that was interesting. I guess you know it's to what we're speaking to. It's like by idealizing another type or trifix or something like that, you're still kind of like looking to the like the flat world to like give you something yeah. or to feel yeah. like the out flat world yeah. stole something from you that you mm-hmm. you know like if you're trying to identify with like let's say you're sexual blind and you're like oh, I'm a sexual type and it's like giving you a sense of something it's like um you're still looking in the wrong place for something you're still like rearranging flat world to try to find something and it's like we're all missing eros unless we're actually in touch with 
something real in us. And like, you know, I, again, I keep referencing these study groups, but it was just, it was just super fresh. Uh, we've been using the rave creation levels as a thing, you know, in the, I think I've, ex- maybe I've explained on the podcast. I know I've explained to you guys, but I don't know in the podcast, just like world 96 versus world 48 versus world 24. And don't worry about the numbers, but it's like, the idea is more conditions. And so like world 96 is where most of us are, which is the delusional world, which is like in religious language, hell doesn't necessarily mean you're miserable all the time, but you're very, very uh, asleep and delusional mm-hmm. and, and lost in Maya. Right. And then world 48 is just getting into like a quote, normal world, meaning cause and effect, not delusional. You're like, your instincts are just actually taking care of their body instead of taking care of inst- like reinforcing ego. World 24 is like the result of inner work where, you, where it's like you're sensitive and you're really in touch with your heart, you're really in touch with your mind, you're really in touch with your body. But to get from 96 to 48, just to get into like the normal actual world is an enormous adjustment. And so it's like people will be in this like 96 space to be like, oh, I want that. And then like, I'm a sexual type or I'm not a sexual type or, you know, whatever it might be or like this fix or whatever. And it's like, it's 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 like reaching through garbage to try to find like a diamond or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's, so it's it's yeah. It's like just the faster you can get rid of your idealizations about a certain type, uh, the more you can work on your fucking type and just <laughs> work your kinks out. You know. The other thing that people say about Alexandra's because is that she's now interesting because she's become your girlfriend, and right, interestingness yeah, has tra- you all. transferred itself from John Infected. to Alexandra. <laughs> No, I mean, that's true. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, I've heard that too. I've read that too. She's been, you know, she was an, fuck yourselves. She was an empty <laughs> space before. I teach before, them, bitch. <laughs> an empty space before she met John, and now yeah, she's become real. a person. I, I mean, you know, Alexander and I knew each other uh, through chats for a while before we were together, like over a year. And I was just always, I mean, I, I, in retrospect, it's really funny. I would always tell my ex, like, wow, Alexander is like so smart. She's so funny. I would just say stuff like, she needs to be on the podcast more. Wow. She was so great on the podcast. Like, I think she's just a great representative of not. Like, <laughs> I would just, con- like, all the time. Like, I was always, you know, like, I've, I've told you guys, but, like, on those chats where you can, like, react to people's comments, I'd always, like, try to make jokes and be like, did she like it? Did she like it? Did she like it? She didn't. She liked Emika's joke? Oh, she liked David's joke? Like, you know, what? <laughs> you know, so yeah, so no, she was, uh, she's always been super juicy. Sexual <laughs> blind nine, baby. Sexual blind nine. <laughs> and it's worth, people try to get so much meaning from this system, or not just this system, any typology. And it's like, man, there's just so many fucking layers that make up who you are. Like, I grew up, I was born in Nigeria, and my family moved here when I was 11. So there's this sort of like, thing of always having to contend with a different culture and Mm. uh you know that can make someone interesting Um, right you know just coming from a different background or there's just so many different layers that i'm you know i'm not a white person i'm in Mm. this is predominantly white country there's so many different layers to people that uh people won't come to the enneagram trying to find meaning and find uh a sense of identity in this system and I mean, I guess people tend to do that with all kinds of things, politics, religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, so this can become a, a type of religion for people where it's like, I'm trying to figure out who I am. And I think on some level I was doing that with the Enneagram. I, I had a quarter life crisis. Mm-hmm. My cocky ass was like, I'm not rich <laughs> at 25. What's wrong with me? <laughs> 
let me go figure out what's wrong with my personality. That was an aspect of it. Now I'm uh, like a super rich. <laughs> still, yeah. I'm still broke. Dark arts money. <laughs> still broke. Uh, but it's like trying to look for an answer within the system. And, and I, I had to just, this system destroyed me. And it destroyed any notion right. that my type, my instincts, or anything make, uh, I could use any of that to orchestrate some kind of like, Emika is the greatest, you know, whatever. Like, it destroyed every, it, it, just, it just saw like how shitty I was that I, myself, I have to develop me that my type or my instincts or any of these things don't give me any inherent advantages. It's just showing me in what ways that I'm fucked up. And, but it's like, you're, it's it, it, development of one's own heart, one's own character yeah. that has nothing to do with any of these things. You, you're just going to use these types to fuck yourself up and then exp- and justify it to yourself. And so it can be like disheartening for people to when people actually get to really see the real Enneagram, get to really see themselves. Uh, and see that there is no escape hatch. There is no security blanket. You actually have to become a better version of yourself, mm-hmm. um, independent of whatever type you might be. And that's like, oh, shit, I'm back to where I was. Right. I'm terrible. Right. And I have to get better. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, not to uh, just because like four is sort of underrepresented in general in the population. It's like. I think what Ford does, like, of all the shitty things Fords can be and do, I do think that one of the, especially, like, for Tess, like, Ford is a part of us that, like, sort of recognizes that our own hearts are, like, just unique inherently, like, that we inherently have something that's going to be just original and unique that's going to come out of us if we get to know ourselves, and, you know, Fords do it in all these fucked up sideways, they get it wrong, but, um, I don't know, I could imagine, uh, like listening to this and we're just like uh being like everything like there's no i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to find but but yeah it's there's like no I hope think, yeah it's like there's <laughs> like no hope there's like like the anxiety of like well uh i think i suck i think my personality type sucks i think you know it's like what is it and it's like you, i mean it's like we said earlier it's like your only real choice is to go into your actual heart mind and body and like be cr- courageous enough to discover what's there even if it puts your usual order of life or instinctual resources at risk like you know like we're talking about shitty social relationships and it's like you're only going to find a real social relationship when you can have the courage to detach a little bit from your shitty ones you know and that might mean not finding a good relationship for a long time but it's kind of like you have to separate something to make room for something else yeah and i guess it's worth saying that even the types this idea that only attachment types are looking to play these identification games with the types and i think everyone's doing that right yeah like i was i was gonna say earlier that um you know this way that we're all kind of settling i guess i correct me if i'm wrong but i guess the the what i heard you guys say that someone said that it's the attachment types that like settle. I think the wording was different, but it was like that. I don't know that like general idea that w- yeah. the it's attachment types that like reach lower to give themselves some sort of like or don't know what they're attracted to. Oh, don't know what. Okay, don't know. Yeah, don't <laughs> know their like location or what it is that they're looking for or whatever. Um, so I do think that if we go back to like 
the way that people can use their dominant instinct in like an integral way or in like a cheap way. I think everybody, because they're, how do I say this? There is abundance, but there is a lot of scarcity and you have to, this is kind of going along with what we're saying. Like if you are waiting for something real, you do have to go without for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe this is giving people too much credit, but I do think people do want something real, but then they kind of, they give up or they burn out or they get lonely or something like that. And then they hold on to something like cheap and lower uh, in the meantime, but then they get comfortable. Their personality gets comfortable with this like lower cheap in the meantime thing that they never outgrow it. And so I guess where I'm going with that is that like, it is not just attachment types that do that. I think everybody does that and they do it in the way of their type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I've mm-hmm. seen mm-hmm. sevens reach low because it's like just like an easy fun fix. Right. You know, and I'm sure that there are ways that eights can reach low because they have like an like uh, a tangible role that they can play for this person that doesn't really do anything for them. Yep. You yeah. know, and like fours will reach low. I don't know, John, how do you reach low? Fours <laughs> Suffering. Reach down. whatever gives him the most suffering yeah well i would say that it's like whatever um uh whatever makes him special by default you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's like these i don't know these ways that we cheat ourselves out of the depth and the vitality of what we're wanting regardless of our instinct that comes back to to my elemental thing if you go sort of another layer deeper into that elemental uh, ecosystem is, um, you know, and what I was talking about, the contrast of earth and fire and that kind of thing, mm. is that if you actually, I mean, it sort of relates to, again, presence and things like that, but uh, every atom, ultimately, of air and earth or anything is a fire. It has, it is, mm-hmm. there is an atomic electricity in it. You know, there's something, not sure where it comes from, but it's something called, I know it as the Fohat. I'm not sure what language that's from, but there's other, <laughs> other uh, you know, words for it in different cultures and things, but it's the, <clears throat> it's the life force that is the universe. It's the fire that is um, in every single atom and subatomic particle. And so, Point being that, again, going back to demystifying sexual, for example, you know, if you were to slow down you would and come into yourself, you would find that vitality in everything mm-hmm. yeah. and that aliveness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that exactly speaks to why there are some people, we've had some people in the group that are very obviously speaking about a social instinct with self-pres in the middle. Mm-hmm. But they think they're speaking about sexual. Yeah, yeah. They're talking about like the depth and the romanticism and the vitality and the passion that comes from their dominant yeah. instinct. Absolutely only attributing that kind of potency to a sexual instinct. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, what is sexual if you realize that all the instincts have potency? Yeah. Right? They have exactly. passion. It's like once you start stripping all this stuff away, it's like, then there's really nothing to idealize anymore. And in a lot of ways, then to be Enneagram can become a disappointing thing because you get left with just you. 
Yeah. I, there's yeah. nothing yeah. to hang your hat on anymore. Yeah. There's your core type is terrible. Your fixes yeah. don't yeah. help you out. Yep. And sexual is not this amazing thing that you thought it was. All the instincts right. have passion. It's like, well, I guess I got to yeah. actually do better and be a better <clears throat> person. Yeah. Well, that, get get like, in touch with my heart and all yeah. that difficult having, stuff that I didn't want to do anyway. Having a five wing on my six fix is not what makes me interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's everything else. <laughs> and you've got a four wing on your three. I know. I'm just oh, yeah. shining that's, beacon. That's, that's our really You're Puerto Rican. Everybody I'm, needs yeah. to be Puerto Rican. <laughs> That's right. That's the one. That's my crowning jewel. Yeah, yeah it's, it's your a, hair. It's your yeah. hair. Everyone should take classes and get your Alexander's yeah. hair. Your ethnic. What did you? Yeah, yeah. What is that episode you guys did? I think you guys did by yourself where you were promoting the astrology and you guys talk about like, you guys talked about like my floof channeling the powers of the universe or something yeah. curls, like that. The curls reach out in all directions yeah. and bring in the cosmic in the energies yeah. from all directions. It's like people are like grasping for straws to find reasons for whatever it is and not like wanting to just say, oh, that person is just a person existing. It's not, oh, he thinks it's cool or this or they're the cool kids or um, it's a cult or like just reaching for all these like, you know, same thing people are doing with types like, oh, it's because of this instinct or because of this type. No, it's just Uh you. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, it's like, I mean, I imagine if some of these people that might be saying that, like, oh, Alexander's only interesting because of her, you know, overlay subwing, uh, <laughs> you know, proximity to John or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, I've already heard that I'm already not the most basic because I'm social self present instead of self pro social. I'm like, Jesus, mm. you're giving, you guys are so uncreative with your own, like, self images. Do you know someone said something, uh, that or left a comment to say why does why does nancy seem so much more bermuda than alexandra and i was like oh, so they're alluding to oh what typologically is making her that oh one? well they're or, just alluding to oh alexandra and nancy about bermuda or about bermudas but alexandra seems less of a bermuda than nancy i.e bermuda being more should be boring or boring or not you know or you know just whatever rude yeah (laughs) yeah it's like they're different people bermuda or whatever doesn't explain your personhood totally no yeah it's also offensive that to be less bermuda would mean that i would be more interesting excuse me i'm interesting because i'm a bermuda (laughs) she's my bermuda queen (laughs) she is the triangle we incarnate we get lost in the mystery Yeah, Me too, baby. Me too. <laughs> what I was saying is like, you know, it's kind of like people have to make up these sort of dumb bullshit things because if it's like, wow, Alexandra, for example, is a very interesting person and she's like a very common type that might be my type or somebody else's right. type. It's like, oh, if I'm lame, it's because I'm lame. It's not <laughs> <laughs> like I want to blame my type or uh, something. Right. You right. know, <laughs> like, like, oh no, if you're, you know, it's like you can be uh, any type and fucking lame and you can be any type and fucking interesting and cool. Yeah. And so that's not a fucking excuse. If you're just, you just, you know, you're just fucking lame. Stop making up some shit and, and do something about it. Like if your sexual life sucks, it's not because you're sexual blind. It's because you're, right. you're shitty at, at sex or whatever. <laughs> like, you're attracted to... You're not, you're, you're hiding, you're hiding from who you're really attracted to, which would somehow challenge your self image or your comfort zone or your social Uh situation Uh or whatever that is. You know, it's like at some, once upon a time I was a virgin and I didn't know what the fuck I was doing sexually. (laughs) 
didn't come out of the Yo, womb as a sexual type. Oh, I'm just a it. sex machine. Mac Daddy. Immediately. I just know how to get girls. If you look at photos of me in high school, I was wearing polo shirts, khakis, and sandals with white socks. Really? Yeah. John, John, remember yeah. that one picture of Emika where he's got his head down like this? Oh, yeah, yes. I yes. Horrible style. I also know of another picture Emika. with Emika where he's like, like, it seems like you're out playing sports or something, and you got flowers, a crown of flowers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I posted that to be a prototype a long time ago. But I'm like, yeah, this one, yeah. <laughs> people look at my hair now are like, oh, he's so interesting. Like, dude, go back 10 years, go back 12, 15 years. Like, I don't, I looked pretty frumpy back then. So, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, I've had, I've given out some horrible fucking, some horrible sex. <laughs> so, I've bombed with many a women. <laughs> so. <laughs> 854 sexual is not helping out at all. Yeah, we've we've all been the person that somebody else like experienced and was like, nah. <laughs> uh, that was not not doing that again. It's like imagine being a sexual type and imagining like, oh, that you would be somehow blessed with some amazing seduction skills. It's like, where are these seduction skills? Please help me figure like where are all these like, you know, uh abilities to seduce and attract women that I'm supposed to have, that these people, like, imagine that they would suddenly have. It's like to your point about, um, like, you might lose interest in the Enneagram because you have nowhere to hang your hat. It's like, yeah. it's like that's the dividing of the waters between who's fucking serious about the mm -hmm. Enneagram and about inner life and all this other stuff and who's just pl using it as an ego game. And it's the same thing with, like, like, all right, let's, like, being a sexual type does not make you better sexually, but it's like, are you willing, whether you're sexual type or just interested in your sexual instinct in general, yes. to look into what it means to be a full person in a sexual way? It doesn't matter what your fucking instinct is, but it's like that, like, though, and to do that requires confronting things about yourself, like, whether it's insecurities or ways you don't measure up or whatever. And so, like, what is actually, like, a real impulse and what's uh, just, I'm looking to shuffle the deck of the Titanic as it goes down. It's like, um, you know, in, in the Gurdjieff work, there's this concept of magnetic center, mm. which it's, like, within the emotional center. And it's this, uh, you know, and you, can, you don't have to take a, don't, it's, like, something to maybe not take literally, but there's something to it where you're exposed to certain influences that are like secondary influences from like quote unquote real influences and it's like following a certain smell or thread of like something real and you have to de like a developing a magnetic center and following the magnetic center oh. will put you in touch with influences that are more vibrant or connected to something real and it's like at any time like you can uh max out on your magnetic center you know like Having a little magnetic center is not gonna get you get you anywhere, but it's like you keep building that. It's like it's like a metaphor for speaking for that real desire to get outside of just the ego building project, which ninety nine point nine 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 percent of everybody's experience, not only people but also ninety nine nine point nine 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 percent of those people's experience. Like ninety nine percent of people are only looking to build their ego. And the people that are looking for more, even 99% of that, those people's experience is <laughs> ego building itself, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so it's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, you have to like just keep pulling that thread and, you know, the only kind of faith required is being dissatisfied with business as usual. Like you have to like really keep yeah. your dissatisfaction close and really feel like how empty and not getting you what you want and compromising and degrading all the shit is. Yeah. Then you might get thirsty for something that's Real. not usual. Yeah. Yeah, Sometimes things just have to burn out, you know. You get right. tired of yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. That's why people try to understand, like, what what is the purpose of our group or podcast, and why do we do all this not a four or not a type bullshit? And somebody made a comment in the group that I thought, you know, um, a social type that brought context to that, to say that, you know, some people think that it's just a marketing campaign or um, just a, a display of our own arrogance. And this person made a comment saying that this was a way to filter out those people who are looking to be coddled and validated mm. by the Enneagram. Yeah. And I was mm -hmm. like, I didn't, I mean, that is yeah. what is, what the purpose is, mm -hmm. is yeah. if you are so in your feelings about the possibility of not being the type that you thought you are, right. you are using the Enneagram to play ego games. Right. And until you stop right. using the Enneagram to play ego games, you will never care enough to actually learn what the Enneagram is trying to say about these types. Mm -hmm. And so to get to burn through that rage or that discomfort and that emotional pain of realizing that what you thought wasn't there, that the Enneagram isn't going to give you that validation that you thought is the only gateway to get to the other side of actually getting to something real. Totally. And, and it's worth pissing off as many people in order to yeah. get those few people who and our group is so potent because of that yeah because totally. the people who stick around are the people who actually give a fuck about getting somewhere with this stuff so it is a, it was a really good you know contextual way to look at yeah that this does have a purpose um because if you can't get through the disappointment that the enneagram isn't going to validate your ego you're never going to get anywhere with this stuff right yeah exactly yeah big part of getting anywhere too though is um you know besides any kind of practice is just observing yourself more and more and more and just seeing how you're doing your type and your instincts i mean i'm saying the obvious but just the more you see it i mean like i guess part of my point is it's not necessarily that our group has a bunch of people that are doing a whole lot of active you know, practices or something, mm -hmm. right. but they're getting more and more familiar with self-observation and observing others, you know, doing these mm -hmm. patterns and it goes and, and, you, and it becomes a more finely, you become a more finely tuned instru instrument to be able to see yeah. all of these patterns and how subtle they are and how they're everywhere and you're saturated in it and everybody is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I'll there's say, a, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I'll say with my own experience, I was saying this to um, a friend recently, and I was telling Don this morning too, is I feel like I learned the majority of the Enneagram through observing everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like I like learned the types or whatever, but still there's like the textbook information, you know, there's just like yeah. the kind of like head type data that I got, you know, and like absorbed that in, but it was seeing it in action and seeing it play out and I think both as an attachment type and as a triple attachment person, it was almost like I wasn't going to understand myself until I saw it externally. 
Yeah. You know, so it was like, oh, I'm watching this person be like some passive aggressive nine. I'm watching that girl just spin out in six nonsense. I'm watching this person, you know, like just toxic social behavior. And then that's when I'm able to see, I don't know, seeing it externally first was how I was able to be like, fuck, I do yeah. that. I do that too, you know, and it's just like this horrifying thing. And then even that recognizing it in myself has given me information on how to more finely, how to observe in a more finely tuned way as well. Because now it's this like internal external cycle of like, you're doing that thing that I do, which means I do this thing, which means I can call that out even more clearly. It's it's, 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 it's like positive, like stripping feedback loop that is horrible, but Right. really helpful it's been really beneficial <clears throat> yeah like the thing that or john did you have something go for it yeah the thing that i didn't realize would happen as a result of centering our group around typing and specifically not just people throwing out guesses but like people going through the practice of making a video on collages is that people actually get to see themselves for the first time <laughs> like making making a video and watching yourself i've gone through this myself it's like oh shit i didn't know that that's the way that i come across or like <laughs> how many how many times have you like you think you're this way in your head i relate to this in my head but like actually watching yourself and then other people watching you and mirroring back to you certain things like oh mm-hmm. shit i didn't realize i was doing that and so mm-hmm. what we've done inadvertently is create a group around self-observation and yeah, just observing point types Uh play out in other people and so people have just gotten really good at observing and making distinctions that practice of not only look seeing yourself but seeing others do their type um people are learning the enneagram just as like you're saying i mean because alexander you've you've learned so much and you're really good at this shit after what how many years two three years two yeah 2019 so it's like that's really fast i mean that's super accelerated the only way that's possible is if you have real life examples of people that you know what their type is and just to see yeah. how powerful that is because it took me how many 15 16 years to get yeah, here yeah. where i'm at but right. like in three years someone can get there so much faster if they totally. have real examples to observe i mean it's to the point i mean i tell alexandra like you know i think you're better at the enneagram than me and i'll tell her like you know like there are things that i'm like struggling with to like clarify and I'll just ask her, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like to find language or something or, and, uh, you know, I always tell people naturally it takes people at least three years to just get what the Enneagram is. And so Alexander has got it. And so, you know, thank God for her, uh, five wing on her six pick. (laughs) (laughs) Subwing four or five or whatever. Phew. If it was a seven wing, we'd all be gone. (laughs) No chance. You wouldn't have any abilities. (laughs) I was going to add to like David's point about observation. Um, you know, another distinction is that there's a difference between uh, like, you know, quote, knowing something about yourself and then observing yeah. where uh, knowing something about yourself is like something you passively absorbed through yeah. friction yeah. and through, comp- yeah. you know, things happening. And that is often not very reliable. You know, mm-hmm. like you make up little stories about why things are the way they are. And true. But then uh, there's obs- observation, which is an active attention. You know, you're actively observing. So, like, you know, Alexandra noticing, like, she's not just going, oh, I know I can spin out in a six-way uh, and not just see somebody spinning out in a six-way. But sometimes she can be like, I'm in the middle of spinning out in a yeah. six-way. <laughs> and yeah. she's art- she articulates, I mean, this... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> 
horrible place to be. <laughs> I mean, she the said line s- to six specifically. I like my six fix, but the line is hell on earth. What she, descri- what she described was like being able to, the, in the mental center, following almost every possibility to its conclusion. Yeah. You know, and that's not how I think at all. So when I try to like soothe her six fix, uh, I do a terrible job. <laughs> I try to do it in a five-ish way where I'm like, this is everything I'm seeing. And she's like, no, but that's not that, that, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was joking that I'm Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness. Because <laughs> it's like all these different perspectives that I, like, was overwhelming. But like that, that ability to articulate uh, that as like mm-hmm. in, the, in the act of, oh, this is what it is. It's not just, oh, I know I have a six fix and sometimes it makes me feel anxious. It's like, it is going all the way down the line with these possibilities. Other people don't do that necessarily. Mm. Um, and I don't, I don't think that way. I like, I like have a vision and then I fixate on the specific vision and it takes a lot for me to un, uncouple the vision from what I think is real. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how seven fixes do it. Uh, David, you can tell us, but you know, it's like, <laughs> but that, that, that capacity, that's really interesting. Like you wouldn't be, it's, I don't know. It's a different thing than just knowing I have six fix and this is what six fixers do. It's like observing in real time. This is the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, one thing I really like about what we're doing with the group is that we are unspooling the Enneagram, like giving it real language. So it's not just to say, oh, I think someone's a four. It's now mm-hmm. giving four language in that this is a frustration image type mm-hmm. in the heart center. Mm-hmm. Like to actually see what that's like, um, or even like six spinning out or ping-ponging between extremes. Like giving real language so people can experience what these types are and observe them not only in other people but in themselves. And that's when the Enneagram becomes not just some abstract system that we can play ego games with. It's like, oh, this is what I'm doing right now. And that means I can actually work with this stuff. And, but people and, have a lot of resistance to that kind of shit because if you're not playing ego games with the Enneagram, now I actually have to work on myself. And no one <laughs> wants to do that. Right. Totally. <laughs> totally. Totally. So here's kind of a, an anecdote um, just on more observing myself kind of thing. Like I feel like in, in the places that really matter, like in my relationship, for example, being a social type, I can... I can like work on the nine stuff, right? Because the stakes are like high and so I need to do it. Um, so like I can fight with John and I can, you know, protect my boundaries and I can advocate for myself and stuff like that. And sometimes it falls off, but whatever. Um, but what's been really interesting to observe lately is I, me in particular, I get extremely nine at work for some reason. Mm. And I see, mm. I see the just like flat blank nine that I, like, for example, there's this, I can't decide if he's a two or seven. It's like so much heart energy, but also so much like chaotic nonsense that I like, I don't know what his type is, but whatever. <laughs> he's annoying. That's all I know. And he, I'm really sitting rude, at reception. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm transcending nine again right it's now. It's the, the five wing on that six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, so I'm like sitting at my desk and I happen to be, I'm like not tucked away in a corner. I'm just like out in the open, which is like my least favorite place to be. And so this guy who works with me, he works on the floor and basically whenever he wants a break, he just comes and sits next to me. Oh God. And one of the, and he'll just talk at me and he'll like completely hijack the conversation to somehow like you know, give me an illustration on how he's like God's handpicked angel 
or how he's just like some super interesting person. And the point of this is because I observe myself in the moment, just go like, what's that animal that plays dead? A possum or something, right? <laughs> yeah. I observe myself do that where suddenly I'm like, I know that I'm interesting. I know that we could have a conversation, but I cannot mm. muster the will to push him to shut up. I also can't tell him to leave me alone. So what I end up doing is I see myself just go completely flat. I see myself just become just like a nothing person in hopes that like me giving him the most boring affect of all will make him go away. Mm -hmm. So it's been an interesting thing to see. Like that's not a high stake situation. That's nothing that's going to change my life. That's, you know, whatever. But that's still an area of opportunity where I could sort of go to three and advocate and be like, I need to get work done. I need you to go have your lunch somewhere else. And for some reason, that's just a super difficult place for me to apply myself. Mm. So just, I don't know, that's just like another thing in, you know, I've now lived in New York for over a year and mustering up the energy and the will and the whatever to not just make the move from Florida, but then to like reacclimate myself was very difficult and very painful, but I still did it. Mm-hmm. So why can't I tell this guy to fuck off? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So it's the thing of like your type challenges will be big or small everywhere always. And it, it's kind of fun to observe them in the big and the small ways. Like, yes, treat the big ones, but treat the small ones too, because in a way, because they don't matter, maybe I'm, it's just my nine speaking, but like in a way, because they don't matter, that's why you should address them. Totally. It's like training wheels for real shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, and, so you know, annoying. <laughs> yeah. And like the ninth thing is even to like let things slide, you know, so it's like, right. oh, but this is not a high stick situation. Oh, yeah. Right. So right. I don't need yeah, to yeah. show up. And, <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. So weird. It's like when when things matter, I will show up. It could just also be a situation that I know John wants me fully, so maybe it's more attachment nonsense. And whereas this guy at work clearly just wants like a blank palette to just talk at. So who knows? I'll 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 report back on my findings, but that's what I'm observing in the current time of why Alexandra's a nine with a five wing on her six fix. Like even even for me, like I'm just observing the wall and how unintentional and reflexive it is even when i want to be in a space of i want to emotionally connect with somebody Mm. an unexpected emotional opportunity for emotional connection arises and there's just like there's no piercing through i'm watching that happen (laughs) where it's like there is no one here for you Mm. to touch (laughs) and then it's like i have to come back around and like try to actually reach back and be like oh i actually wanted to connect with you in that way but i'm watching like even though I have the intention and I'm a lot better at this than I used to be, that reflexive wall is a bitch, man. Like yeah. it's still there. And um, so if, if someone approaches me with some kind of unexpected reach out into my heart, the chances of me being able to reciprocate in the moment are pretty much almost zero. Like it's just a reflexive no. And then I can maybe like, all right, I actually wanted, you know, then I have to like open up and just watching that happen is like, Jesus. <laughs> no totally i mean yeah for me like how quickly something comes up and then my whole world is absolute emotional despair (laughs) 
like suicidal despair is just incredible how fast it is. Like I get a little like my imagination goes, oh, what about that? And then it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not reachable. And uh, there's anger, you know, there's frustrated anger. And yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. I think, John, you'd ask something about like, oh, (laughs) yeah, I think you'd ask something on the Courtney calls. Like, you know, if me recognizing had given me any ability to be able to step back from it. And in the moment, I was like, this feels so impossible. I mean, I'm seeing it now, but like it's it feels like it's going to take years before I can even pull the grip away from this sort of reflexive thing that's happening i'm seeing how reflexive it is and it's so disappointing because it's like oh shit this is like built into everything so i guess the answer to that is that i'm seeing how much intentional work i would have to do to even get like 10 percent, you know Mm -hmm. away from the reflex um Mm -hmm. because it's so it's just a first response yeah you know like uh I mean, keep keeping our misery close, like we said earlier, is like one of the like we have to like get sick of what we're doing. Like you have to just like get sick. Like I think that's the only way to really change it is to just mm-hmm. like be nauseated by the pattern and like how I feel when I'm going down that road or something or or you know, conversely, like there are ways to not indulge and then there might be ways to like that i know from my own personality structure to find stability and like follow those you know there's like sometimes there's holes in the personality that need to be filled in in certain ways Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's like like finding when we go to sleep however we go to sleep and just like really observing and experiencing these sleep instead of going like let me get past the sleep yeah yeah. like can i get sick enough of being in this space and really clear about what this the body heart and mind effect are i think and that's, that's part of why it's so important to really emphasize the ugly and the hell right you mm-hmm. know and to keep going further into it like really push the dog's nose into the shit yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> you yeah know? yeah that's the only way you'd be motivated to do anything about it is just yeah. and that's a lot why a lot of people quit the enneagram because oh shit it's hopeless and there's such a big mountain to climb to pull myself out of this ditch that I'm realizing that I'm in. I've seen so many people quit the Enneagram because what they're seeing is so uncomfortable and so seemingly hopeless. But that's the only thing that would actually get you to peel yourself from this automatic reflex that's just imprisoning you. So anyway, we've been going for a while. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. We'll see what, what, I'll end up calling whatever the fuck this last hour and a half was. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, what is it? What do we call it? Idealizations. There's, or, there's usually yeah. some kind of theme. It's like, I think I've been, one phrase that I used was just killing your idols. Yeah. There you go. That's good. You know, That's just, good. Yeah. I like that. I think it's good. All right. Well, <laughs> my social uh, batteries are out. No. <laughs> um, let's, uh, yeah, we'll talk. Next week, I guess next week we're meeting around one, and Nancy hopefully will can get it to work. My friend Julie will be on for Divine Feminine. That's yeah. uh, next Sunday. Next Sunday. Okay. Yeah. All right, y'all. All right. Good. Cool. Okay. Bye. Bye. See y'all. Bye. <laughs>